Um, we're going to read from Romans, uh, the fifth chapter, and starting with verse six. And we continue our series, How Sweet the Sound. It should sound familiar to you, amazing grace. And not far into the song, we hear that phrase, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We want to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to hear the Lord speak to us. And so let's take a look at what Paul writes uh, in the Romans letter. The fifth chapter, verse 6. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and how it is applicable to us, how it still speaks into our hearts. And so we pray that as your word speaks into our hearts, as we worship together, that you will change us and mold us and make us into Christ's likeness. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just anoint my words as we've been a part of an anointed service. And I just ask that your grace would be poured out upon us this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard these phrases before, and I want you to finish the phrase. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. There's no such thing as a free... Good. Walt's got it. No pain, no... Good. Just pull yourself up by your own... And God helps those who help themselves, right? God helps those who, yeah, I gave you that line, didn't I? Yeah, I kind of jumped ahead. Um, and you know where that's quoted, that, uh, that last one is in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. It's in Second Opinions, it's uh, an epistle. Um, it sounds like the American way, doesn't it? I mean, everything about the American way teaches us that you've got to earn it. And we know what it means to work hard. We know the value of elbow grease. And fortunately, we know the value of effort and sweat. And we call it the, the Protestant work ethic that is built into the American culture. 
Uh, and we would, uh, we would never have become uh, the greatest industrialized nation of the world if we had not had that value before us. And that value before us is, is you kind of get what you deserve. A motivational speaker might say, if it's to be, it's up to me. But that kind of runs theologically incongruent, if you would, uh, to what we understand the gospel to say and what the scriptures say. Our cultural mores and and values say, you got to earn it. You got to make it happen. The only problem with the American work ethic is, thank God, God does not go with the American work ethic when it comes to redeeming us for heaven. It's called grace. What are some definitions of grace? God giving me what I need, not what I deserve. Grace, somebody said, grace is the face God wears when he meets my failures. God's love is shown in unmerited, unearned favor toward me. And so we're in this series entitled, How Sweet the Sound, and we've been talking about grace And last week we talked about prevenient grace, that grace that runs ahead of us, that precedes us, that woos us, that courts us. And God's longing heart, he is relentless in his pursuit of you and me. Prevenient grace. Today I want to talk about saving grace, or if you want to use a theological word, justifying grace. And if you would, as we move through this series, I want you to envision a home. And this home has a porch on it. It has a front door and it has many rooms that can be inhabited. That wooing grace gets us onto the property and we step up on the porch. One might say that's prevenient grace. And, and for some of us, we got onto the porch and we reached to that front door very quickly. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will come to me, I will receive you. But for us, that imagery is that we're standing at that door. And on that porch, repentance takes place. That, that is that moment in our lives where God pulls back the curtain and shows us what we look like and how we act. And repentance literally means a a turning from the ways in which we were moving, moving in a different direction. And so on that porch, that moment of conviction takes place and God's spirit begins to transform us, begins to change us. And so if If you can envision that as prevenient grace, 
And the door into the home is saving grace. It's interesting, John Wesley in his 30s, he had been an Anglican priest, and he had done a number of things to try to earn his salvation. He tried to be a great academician. Uh, and education, he thought, was the hope of the future. He worked hard in justice ministries and, and believed that if he could just work hard enough in the mission of God, he could earn God's favor. It was finally at a little chapel in London. He writes in his journal, I went reluctantly. Have you ever gone reluctantly to a church event? That's what he did. He said, I went reluctantly, and on that night I heard the reading of the preface to the commentary on Romans, what we heard, the reading of Romans, and I felt my heart strangely warmed. Now, you may be thinking he had heartburn. But it was something more than that. God was working in his life. And in that moment, he had the assurance that Christ had done a great work on the cross and had forgiven him of his unrighteousness, of his mistakes, of his sins. And he said, at that moment, I believed and trusted in Christ alone and nothing else. No longer in good works or in education so much or believing the right things or having the right theology or being a part of the Anglican church. Now I have stepped through the door and I understand the assurance of my salvation and I am forgiven. Some of us have stayed on that porch for so long. And God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has convicted us of sin. And maybe our next step is to step through that door and enter into the house. Because the reality is for all of us, well, Romans 3.23 says it well, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all come up short. And we are in need of the saving grace. I, I like this text that we read today because it's, it's like a paradoxical dance. It's a, it's a weaving back and forth. You have the scripture in your bulletin. I encourage you to look at it <clears throat> or on your smartphone or wherever you may have it in your Bible. Um, and in this passage this morning, pa Paul lays out an argument that, that is... It's kind of a wobbly, paradoxical dance, back and forth. We were weak, but Christ died for the ungodly. Now, people don't die for righteous people. Uh, the, uh, people typically, you might find somebody that will die for a righteous person, but they're surely not going to die for a person that lacks character or integrity or a criminal or a sinner. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we've been made righteous and will not, be, will not face his wrath. We have been reconciled and are saved with Christ. And later on he says, judgment fell because one, through one man's sin, judgment came. 
but through one man and his righteous act, we have salvation. And so the wonderful thing for us in saving grace is there's no more guilt in life when we are in Christ, and there's no more fear in death. And so that prevenient grace brings us to the porch, and on the porch, God moves that curtain back, and we see that which is wrong and broken in our lives, and we have the opportunity to step through the threshold saving grace. When was that for some of you? For me, it was in 10th grade that I, I really began to understand that I didn't have to strive, I didn't have to work to earn God's love. But he loved me just as I was. And he forgave me. You know the story probably pretty well. A father, two sons. One stayed back, worked the ranch. The other squandered all of his inheritance. He went to his dad. He said, look, I want everything that is due me. I'm sure his father said, are you sure? It probably hurt the father. And so he gave him what was due to him from the estate in terms of finances, and he went and he wasted it all. And you know the story. And the scripture says he went to a foreign land and then he came to his senses. And he turned his heart toward home. And do you remember the elder son? The el I can just envision the elder son looking, begrudging his younger brother. And do you remember what the father did? He ran. Jewish daddies, Jewish fathers, they have a lot of dignity about it. They don't run. But this father ran to his wayward son and embraced him. One commentary says he probably had one shoe from different pairs of shoes. He was so excited that he slipped them on and he ran out. And he wasn't fully dressed, but he didn't care because this is his son. And that elder brother was standing off at the distance saying, don't you realize what he's done? Don't you realize what he's wasted? And then the father helps clarify everything. The point isn't what he did. The point is that he's home. He's home. And I think that father understood something that, that all of us have fallen short. And the gospel message is that we are in need of someone greater than ourselves to provide atonement. If you take the word atonement, it means at one minute with God, to, to reconcile us to the Father. And we all are in need of Christ. I'm a little, well, I guess you'd say tight financially. Um, and, and I like 
to, if I can, do certain things myself to save money. Now, I love that commercial from Lowe's. Maybe you've seen it. The guy is elevated. He's working on a fan, and he's, uh, he's, you can tell he's proud of himself. He kind of gives the fan one last spin before he goes and throws the switch. He walks over to the switch, and the next thing you see is this tranquil front yard and the fan comes flying through the window. <laughs> it, it didn't work well. And I love the Lowe's phrase. It says, installation can be tricky. Come to Lowe's. We've got all the tips and tools you'll need to get the job done. Uh, and, and one of the things I like to do is work on cars and work on things around the house. But, you know, I got to tell you that even in those moments... I've got to call a good friend of mine in the church. Uh, recently, I was putting an electric fence around the parsonage to keep my dogs in. You know, something we hear in the South, honey, we don't need another dog. I got two dogs, and, uh, and I was trying to keep them contained in this electric fence, and I had a, a crowbar, and I was trenching out. Isn't that great? And I was trenching out, and what do you think I did? I cut the cable. I cut the cable, and my, my son, who's a junior in high school, Jordan, I said to him, hey, man, I was doing this electric fence, and, and uh, I got to tell you, I cut the cable, and you would have thought it was a death. Dad, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You, know, you lose your cable, man. It's like, uh, you cut off the respirator, man. And, and so what I do, I was like, this is coax cable. I don't know what to do with this. And, and Jordan went inside and he said, no service available, Dad. And, and so what did I do? In and of myself, I was not able to fix that. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the expertise. But Ian Kistler does. And he's about five, six rows back. And I called Ian and I said, Ian, what can I do for you, man? Because I need your help. I'm in deep. I cut my cable. I went and picked him up, and he rode out with me. You know, saving grace is that moment we bury our pride. We recognize that to achieve the righteousness to be forgiven in the way that we need to be forgiven, it takes more than our effort. It takes Jesus Christ and the wonderful cross to make us justified. You know, I like to think of it in and an illustration, if I were to do a long jump. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, David Denson. And uh, let's, let's see, do we still have that? Uh, David Denson and long jump. And um, the, the illustration I like is if I were to run off this stage, okay? Let's say I took a, a flying leap, kind of like David. David looks good there, doesn't he? His eyes are weirdly cocked over to the left. I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, he takes this, we take a running start. And if I were to take a running start, I, you know, I could get, in terms of my righteousness now, in terms of my good behavior, 
I, I might get to the altar if I took a good running star. And, you know, we tend to categorize people, don't we? You know, we might say, okay, a drug dealer could barely probably get off the stage. And, and maybe, maybe a prostitute would get, like, right behind the altar. And, and, and here's Tim right here. And, and Ben's, a, Ben's a good guy. I know Ben. He's one of our youth. He's a good fellow. And in terms of his behavior, based on what I've seen, I don't ask his mother, but based on his good behavior, I believe he could reach here in terms of righteousness. Now, Peggy Knight, I know her. She went to Bible study recently. We studied Jonah together. She was there every night. That's pretty righteous, isn't it? So you got to get, in terms of what we think of righteousness, Peggy gets out here. Way to go, Peggy. Okay. Uh, you, you know, and then I think of Billy Graham. Billy Graham's got Parkinson's. He's in his 90s. He's going to go to heaven soon. But you talk about righteousness. Terry, wouldn't you say he's pretty righteous? Yeah, I would too. He would, with Parkinson's and a cane, in terms of righteousness, Terry, I got to tell you, he would pass you, buddy. He, he would be right here. Now, isn't that great that we got some folks that can get some distance? The good news is that all of us can take a jump. We can all leap to a distance. We could even say there's a little bit of righteousness in all of us. The bad news is we've got to do a long jump where we leap and not touch the ground. When it comes to righteousness, we've got to get to Atlanta. And there's only one who can bridge that distance. There's only one who can connect the chasm. There's only one who can take my sin and your sin. And as Isaiah said, though I was red like crimson, though I was unrighteous, I am a linen white as snow. He was predicting the great work of Christ. And that's the wonderful thing about the Old Testament is the Old Testament has so much to do about law, but it has a lot to do about grace because what the people of God realized is they could not measure up. They kept falling short of the law and it pointed to something greater. And that something greater would be that long expected Messiah who would be the redeemer, who would rule our hearts. And he gave us the spirit to guide us and direct us. A friend of mine, African-American preacher, extremely gifted, he did a wonderful job helping me with a vision in one of his messages, and he said, you know, I really believe that on that day of judgment, there will be truth, and I'll be standing before the throne of God, and there will be truth, and truth will say, you know, he's a liar. He's deceitful. You can't trust him. God, what are you going to do? 
unrighteousness is going to say, oh, he is very unrighteous. There's nothing much good about him. Oh, he made a shot at it, but he is unrighteous. And justice will say, oh, the scales are out of balance. The scales are out of balance. Uh, he deserves punishment. He deserves hell. What are you going to do, God? And in his animated way, he said, and God will say, truth and righteousness and justice come gather around and I want you to stand over the balcony of heaven with me and I want you to look down the corridors of time and I want you to see past the 24 elders and the seraphim and the angelic beings and I want you to see do you see just outside of Jerusalem there is a hill and that hill is in the shape they named it the skull because it looks like a skull and there's a Roman cross and there is one, my only begotten son and he is hanging from the cross and you'll see that the story continues that he is risen from a tomb. And so because of that, this one can enter into paradise for the price has been paid and I say his status is not guilty, for he is righteous, and he is just, and he is true, because of the great work I have done. For some of us today, we've not allowed the Spirit to really pull back that curtain We've not allowed God to be honest with us. We've not been honest with ourselves. And today, as the scripture says, can be the day of salvation. Where we simply celebrate the fact it's not about what we do, but what's been done for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And if you've not invited Christ to come into your life, I want to encourage you. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Or maybe you've done that, but you've been striving and you've been trying to earn the favor of others and earn the favor of God by what you've been trying to do. And God says, you've come home. That's the point. And so we invite you to come home and to walk through the threshold called salvation. Let's worship together. The altar is open.